So I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to speak with you all tonight on what is clearly on all of our minds. I'm exhausted. I don't know if you can tell that, but I am. I'm exhausted. I'm worn out. I'm tired. I'm empty. I'm deflated. Not defeated, but it wouldn't take much. And I know I'm not alone. I know that you're exhausted too. They say that the problem with Chicken Little was that every day he would yell, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And he did it so often that people ignored him when it really was. Now our experience has been just the opposite. Every day the sky is falling. Our planet, our lives, civil society, all are in great danger, in mortal danger. And if we look away for one moment, if we stop trying to hold up the sky, it might all come crashing down. It might crash anyways, but we are trying. We are trying to hold up the sky. And holding up the sky is exhausting. Do you remember when teens took to the streets of the United States in the March for Our Lives? Gun violence, which has not abated since they demanded action, was killing them in their schools and communities, and they took up the charge when the grown-ups of the world failed in their most sacred duty and our most sacred duty to keep our children safe. Well, the guns are still there, more than ever before. I have a t-shirt from one of the rallies. It's in a drawer. It's next to a knitted pink pussy hat, a pink toque with cat ears, solidarity for women's rights, and protest against the rhetoric used towards women and minorities from those in power. Not much has changed. I could still wear the t-shirt. I could still wear the hat. The message is needed again and again today, but not much has changed. On the dresser that contains that hat sits a picture of a group of our congregation standing with signs and balloons of welcome at YVR Airport as we welcomed the first of nearly a dozen Syrian refugees who sought safety and shelter in Canada that we sponsored, our congregation did. Months later, a hundred of us stood at Jackpool Plaza demanding that if the U.S. closed its borders to Syrian refugees as they claimed they would, that Canada let more in. Now next to that picture on my dresser sits another picture of Rabbi Brown and I marching over the Canby Street Bridge with a hundred thousand other Vancouverites marching for climate justice. Remember when all we were trying to do was just save the planet? Oh, those days. Of course, that picture is obscured a little by the homemade mask and bottle of hand sanitizer, also homemade, that sits in a bundle on my dresser. Don't leave home without it used to refer to an American Express card. Now it refers to my own PPE. But my dresser is messy and my whole house is messy because we have been home sheltering in place for more than three months. The kids use most of the house for homeschool and I use this one quiet space to broadcast this service to you. My home is literally a sanctuary. A whiteboard hangs where we used to have a painting because we have to keep track like we're in some office of everyone's Zoom calls and screen time and projects. I'm the only one in the house that doesn't need a haircut and we all need a hug. My siblings are in California. My brother lost his job. My sister teaches her students from home. My nephew left his first year at university and he left all of his stuff in his dorm because he thought he was going back after spring break. And now he wonders when, if ever, he'll go back. My parents and my in-laws, they all have medical reasons to stay home and away from anyone who breathes. Now, of course, it took every ounce of energy that we had early on and many days of quoting Bonnie Henry 
to convince them of that simple fact. But now they stay home and they're going a bit stir-crazy. But as if the global pandemic and economic collapse was not enough to keep us up at night, we watch with horror as one of one police officer's murderous knee crystallized the experience of blacks and people of color in America. And it evoked for us Canada's own ongoing oppression of indigenous peoples, the anti-black and anti-Asian violence that is here in Canada too and around the world. One of my colleagues, Rabbi Jeff Salkin, observed that Jews experienced the wave of violence against Jews, Pittsburgh, Poway, Jersey City, Monsey, just to name a few, as the continuation of the darkest moments of Jewish history, as one long pogrom. American blacks experienced the wave of violence against them as the continuation of the darkest moments of American history, as one long lynching. Anti-Semitism is the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination of Western civilization, and racism is the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination of American society. It is horrifying. It is horrifying what we are seeing on the news. But blacks in America see and experience it every single day. It's not news to them, it's reality. If you worry that you may be shot by the police or some terrified white person if you go for a jog in a white neighborhood, then you have been living social distancing and isolation your entire life, not just three months of a pandemic. It is terrifying. It is terrifying to live as a black person in America. And I am a privileged, middle-aged, gainfully employed, well-educated white man living in Canada. The only time that I fear the police is if I reach for my cell phone while I'm driving. Can you imagine being black, out of work, and living in fear in America today? I can't. But I am really trying. I am trying hard because it is so hard and it has to feel so helpless. Judaism is built upon the great value of holding complexity, and this is complex, and it's also simple. Judaism implores us to be conscious of both privilege and suffering, not only mine and that of our people throughout history, but of others as well. Judaism commands us from the very first words of the Torah, when God created human beings in God's own image, that all lives matter, but that the lives of those in peril or jeopardy under the gaze of persecution, under the boot or the knee of authoritarianism, those lives matter more right now. And it is my Jewish duty to redeem them. Too many are imprisoned in our world today, trapped by circumstance, sentenced by intolerance, surrounded by bigotry, tortured by racism. The prison walls are built high by indifference, and they are topped by razor-sharp tongues that cut like wire, and guarded by towers of institutionalized racism that cast long shadows from generation to generation. In his first major speech as a civil rights leader addressing the Montgomery, Alabama bus boycott, on December 5, 1955, 64 and a half years ago today, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. powerfully declared, There comes a time when people get tired. We are here this evening to say to those who have mistreated us so long that we are tired. Tired of being segregated and humiliated. Tired of being kicked about by the brutal feet of oppression. We have no alternative but to protest. For many years we have shown amazing patience. We have sometimes given our white brothers the feeling that we liked the way we were being treated. 
but we come here tonight to be saved. To be saved from the patience that makes us patient with anything less than freedom and justice. End quote. The black community was tired in 1955. They are beyond exhausted 64 and a half years later. And I hope we are all as well. But this is no time to rest. This is no time to curl up in a ball, to close our eyes and our ears and to cry, though that's what I want to do for our world so many times a day. We need to wake up. Our planet needs us. Our democracy needs us. Our fellow citizens need us. Especially those who don't look like us. They need us. Now usually I will admit that in my sermons I know that I am preaching to the choir. Often there is nothing that you can do or nothing that you are not already doing to avert the societal wrong that I attempt to lift up with the prophetic voice of Torah. But that is not the case tonight. Only white people can end racism. Not because we are racist, because even though I can't see you through this screen, I know you, and you are not racists. But not being a racist is no better than not being a Jew hater. We must be anti-racists. As Ibram X. Kendi, director of the Anti-Racist Research and Policy Center at American University, notes in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and we should all read this book. It is not enough to simply be not racist. The opposite of racist isn't not racist. The opposite of racist is anti-racist. As Elie Wiesel taught us, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it is indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it is indifference. And the opposite of life is not death, it is indifference. To simply not be a racist is to be indifferent. Anti-racism is understanding how years of federal, state, and local policies have placed communities of color in the crises they face today. And it's understanding and calling those policies out for what they are. They are racist. It also requires an understanding of one's own position in a racist society. Many say an acknowledgement that you can't simply opt out of living in white supremacy by saying you're not a racist. You have to actually and actively fight against racism. Asked to define anti-racism, writer and middle school teacher Christina Torres cited Beverly Daniel Tatum's concept of racism as a moving walkway. We're all on the moving walkway, Torres said. If you're not a racist, you're kind of just still standing still on that moving walkway. But you're still complicit in societal racism because you're part of society. The only way to be an anti-racist is to walk in the other direction along that moving walkway. And walking that way is hard, but it is necessary. Her observation echoes that of Abraham Joshua Heschel speaking on this very same subject 50 years ago. God, we have been talking about this a long time. Heschel said, Morally speaking, there is no limit to the concern one must feel for the suffering of human beings. That indifference to evil is worse than evil itself. That in a free, free society, some are guilty, but all are responsible. And so we are tired. I am tired, you are tired. Our people, though, have been tired before. We marched through a desert for 40 years. We longed for a homeland for 2,000 years. We are tired, but we must keep walking. Again, to quote Heschel, 
we must start praying with our feet. And so we must not only march for justice, but we must leverage every measure of our privilege and resources to end this scourge of institutionalized racism once and for all. I am tired, but I am energized. I am exhausted, but I can't sleep. My conscience will not allow it, and neither can yours. Can you hear Be God's will. Amen. Our service continues with Elenu, page 586. Elenu, <laughs> 